Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Hasten here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday, October the 2nd, 2019. It is 4 p.m. New York time, and that's 1 a.m., 1 p.m. rather, Los Angeles time, 9 p.m. in London, 5 a.m. in Tokyo, 6 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. But wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And I'm happy that it's Neville Day. Happy Neville Day, everybody, because we are talking about Neville Goddard, as we always do, or actually, as we almost always do on Wednesday. <laughs> Provided, of course, we're both in the same podcast at the same time, because we don't have a conflict. But That's right. It's a day to look forward to, and I always look forward to it every single time we're doing this. We've been doing it for over a year now. Did you realize that? Yeah. Wow. Over a year. I mean, and, and we still aren't done with all the Neville books. That was so no. amazing. Yeah. We're no, like, like, like we always say, we, we could do a Neville book again. We could we could finish this one and start right back at the beginning and be totally different. It does seem that way, doesn't it? It's yeah. amazing. It's the same topic over and over again. It's the same text over and over again, and we always get something new. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a remarkable thing. It Plus is. Plus, we're, we're working with Neville's magnum opus, The Law and the Promise, his last book. And it was kind of, it's kind of the book where he really pulled it all together. Together, At least that's what we're seeing so far, I think. I think so, too. And not only that, but because he had been teaching this stuff for so long, that at that point, he had collected a lot of stories from people that attended his lectures and had mm-hmm. put his methods into practice and had great results. And so... Mm-hmm. He's added those in to kind of prove his points along the way, and I, that's so much fun. I love mm-hmm. that so much. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I want to say, last time we were together, we, we have a story where the woman said, um, I feel wonderful, something, something fantastic is happening to me now, or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, I've been working with it, actually. And, and I decided, okay, I need to do this. This is going to happen all week. And then I remembered it this morning. Oh, no. <laughs> I've actually been doing it every single night. Um, and, and yes, the, thank the, you. Yes. Oh, you're quite welcome. And, and the phrase is, isn't it wonderful? Something marvelous is happening to me now. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And I've been practicing that every night and sometimes during the day, too. And I can't say I've had any really major results. You know, they just popped up and say, whoa, look at this manifestation. It's amazing. But what I have noticed so far is that just by making this part of my routine, so to speak, Yes. I am finding it easier to deal with the crap that life throws at you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, because stuff just happens, and, and yeah. you know, it's, it's up to us how we're going to respond to it, right. how we're going to re- deal with it, and how we're going to react to it. Um, and, you know, it's not like this is the only process. Lots of people have lots of different processes, meditations and affirmations, and, you know, there's a whole list of things that you can possibly do. But this one does have, apparently, a very calming effect when it comes to dealing with the crap. So that that's a good start well, right there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I have a, a, a mantra, if you want to call it that. It's like a, you know, thing that I just say all the time, and it's, it just is, you know, that no, reminding myself that no one and nothing has power over me. Mm, good point. I like that one. Right? And it's like, uh, I remember maybe 15 years ago, 12 years ago, um, I got a hold of that concept, right? That if I was a victim, mm-hmm. you know, someone treated me badly, um, that feeling like a victim, being a victim that it's like I was the only one that could have my hand on the trigger. 
Right. And, you know, sure, do we do people ever get victimized by someone else? Yes, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that if you've been attacked or something that it's your fault. I'm talking about the aftermath of it. I'm talking about when we look back on whatever has happened and we feel like, oh, everything's coming against me instead of taking that radical responsibility of saying, you know what, no one's going to have power over how I feel, right? I have power over that, that I have power over me and how I feel and how I experience this and how, what story I tell about it. Once I got a hold of that, it was like everything shifted for me. Um, and I realized how often I had really been in victim mode, like poor me, you know, all this crap is happening to me. And now I try to remind myself it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that, I think that I had really started again a few weeks ago with that. Like I'm reminding myself of that all the time. No one, no one can take my power from me. And so that was the mantra that's already been going. Yeah. And I, and a lot of times, whatever mantra is like my current thought, that will be what I do when I'm going to sleep. So this one about, you know, how wonderful I just, it just went right by. I determined to do it for this week. And then I remembered like an hour ago, I thought, (laughs) I challenged everyone to do it with me. And then I just dropped the ball. (laughs) Never thought of it again. (laughs) Well, fortunately I did it for the both of us. So we're covered. We're okay. That's all right. That's all right. But well, actually, that kind of illustrates what the biggest challenge we all have is with these various processes. Doing them, I right? mean, we, we say we're going to do them, and then you know, life gets in the way, and we forget, and maybe we make a note. Oh, and I forgot, I got to go back and do that, and maybe we can kind of staggeringly get through a few days in a row where we do it. And now we start to develop a habit, so now we got that one going, but we forgot this other one. It, it just, that's just the way life goes, right? I feel you know? like ne- Neville's up there going, giving me this. <laughs> my husband calls that the lips right just like you kind of purse your lips together and shake your head and shut your eyes <laughs> like, that's what devil's doing like, <laughs> uh, oh by the way <clears throat> there, there's something I, I i always like to not always i often like to um make comments on stuff that i've seen in the neville groups on facebook yes. and there's a theme i've been seeing a lot of lately uh, in which People complain that people like yourself, people who um, are paid life coaches, are being paid when Neville didn't take money for the lectures he gave, you know, and you actually shouldn't be paying money. What's that? Who says? Who says what? Who says Neville didn't take money for his lectures? Oh, well, he did. He actually said that. But he also said that he did uh, require being paid if he was doing in-person coaching. He actually stated that in one of his lectures. Ah. and he, He actually stated the scale, too. And that's oh, what wow. my point was. Okay. Yeah, that's the point I wanted to make was Neville actually stated precisely what he was charging people mm-hmm. in order to get one-on-one attention from him. Yeah. So to all the people who are getting snooty about, you know, people like Cindy who make a living, my reaction is, <laughs> and that's, that's my commentary for the day. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a lot of opinions and a lot of also um, misinformation about coaches and coaching, and there's also a really wide range of of what people charge to coach and what experience people have and what training they have. You have 10,000 hours Mm. of of training and $10,000, probably more like $20,000 of training and coaches that I hire myself. So I've invested in my skills and I've invested in, you know, being able to show up 
as a, a really as a badass. So it's like mm. I, I don't have a problem charging for what I do. And I also give away a lot of stuff for free. You can hear our podcast. Nobody's charging you to hear the podcast. Absolutely. Um, we write articles and we post things and we help people pro bono all the time. And so, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, if if people get kind of, you know, squirmy about life coaches charging, well then just don't hire a life coach. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't hire a life coach, you know, keep going with what you're doing. Um my point to them is why do you have to get squirrely about it? Why 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 do you have to just, you know, throw blame and doubt and all kinds of stuff at other people? Just just go with what you like doing. That's fine, you know, but when you start doing the other thing, now you're attracting all this stuff that you really didn't want in the first place. Yeah. Cuz remember what you vibrate to, that's what you're attracting more of. So are you sure you really want to put out all these complaints about what life coaches are charging? Really? True. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Right. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of liken it to, well, okay, truly any job in existence, any task, anything that needs to be done can be done for free. I mean, there's no job that can be done that you absolutely have to get paid for. Otherwise, it won't happen. You know, So let's apply the standard to ourselves. Would you, whoever you are, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, would you do your job for free? If not, what does that say about you? Yeah. Well, it says you think you deserve to be paid for what you do, and that's valid. That's perfectly it's, it's valid. It's funny because some people get really offended when you want to charge. Um, I know when I first started coaching professionally and I, I got, you know, a, an email list where I was like a newsletter where I would mail out, I I never offered any services. I didn't even offer ebooks for sale or anything. I never made an offer for anything. I just sent out, you know, advice. Ooh, do you hear all these sirens going by my office? I just sent out advice and letters and ideas and, you know, always sending, sending, sending. And the first time I ever offered anything, and I just said, you know, it just made an offer. I had so many people unsubscribe, and I thought it was so funny. I was like, I bet that Neville, you know, it reminds me of what so many coaches do today. And, and not just coaches, but people that are um, – doing any kind of work where they do a podcast to let people know about their work or they write mm -hmm. a newsletter or they post on Facebook. It's like, nobody's paying us to post on Facebook. As a matter of fact, a lot of people are paying Facebook to be able to <laughs> That's true. On Facebook, right? <laughs> and, and it's like Neville was going out and doing lectures and mm -hmm. that was his Facebook, right? That was his was. get out there and be seen and let people know what you're talking about. Let people know what you're doing. Let your ideas be out there. And if you want my personal attention, I'm happy to coach you and let's step over into my business container so that I can tell you what I charge and you can pay me. And that's exactly. Yeah. And there's not anything wrong with it, you know? And by the way, one of the quotes that, that the naysayers like to draw upon is they don't even draw the quote because they're usually too lazy to go look it up. But the gist of the quote is that you don't want to, Neville said you, you, you want to avoid people who are charlatans trying to charge you to teach you what he was teaching for free. And so, so people grasp onto that and they say, well, that means you should never pay anybody anything to help you learn any of this stuff. But that's not what he said. He said, you shouldn't pay charlatans. Well, that, that's kind of like, you know, don't take any wooden nickels. It's really good <laughs> advice, but it doesn't mean that you should never take a nickel. <laughs> right. Right. So, so here's you know. the thing. We live in an age where any information that you want is at the touch of the fingertips. You know, I mean, Google is, you know, God to everyone, right? We want, we need to know something. Google has the answer and we just go get the answer. So information is, is so plentiful. Any it information is. that you want, 
But when we're talking about coaching or consulting or, I don't know, you know, roofing or bricklaying, I mean, we're not talking about information. We're talking about somebody who has the body of knowledge where they can help you personally skillfully apply the information. And that's totally different. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, this is like anything else. We were talking earlier, you and I, even before we started the podcast about the importance of how we focus and what we're going to, what we're going to focus our attention on. Are we going to focus in a way that is focusing on what pleases us on what we like and what we prefer? Or are we going to focus on stuff that we don't like and gripe and groan and complain and moan? It's not like there's a lack of opportunity to do that. You know, so there's plenty of chances for us to be taking that latter step, that latter approach, but we have that choice every moment of every, every day. And that includes what, whether we're going to you know, work for a living and, and collect a paycheck or whether we're going to pay somebody else for a service or whatever. A lot of people decide to look at it positively and say, like with the gardening service that we offer, that Louise and I offer through our, our gardeners, you know, the, our clients who love us say, oh, God, I'm so glad I don't have to do the gardening anymore. Right. Exactly. And they're, they're often paying us hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. But they've been gardeners. They know what it's like. It's, yeah. And they know how hard the work is. So they're glad to pay the money, you know, yeah. because it's much more viable to them to just preserve these wonderful gardens they built up over the years. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And so it's seen as, you know, here's the thing is nobody likes to be sold to if it's something they don't want. That's right. If it's something they want, they don't notice they're being sold to, right? Exactly. If I walk into Best Buy and I'm looking for a new TV, I'm looking around. Who can help me? Who can help me? I've got money in my pocket, and I want somebody to show me the most awesome TV they've got in this place because I'm ready to buy that thing. That's right. But if I go in there just to look around and I don't want to be bothered and five salespeople keep coming up to me, can I show you a TV? Can I show you a TV? Right? I'm like, I don't want a TV. Like, leave me alone. I'm here for a a mixer. I don't care about TVs. (laughs) That's all it is. If you're in the market for something, you know, there's somebody that can help you and you're happy to pay them because you want the results. And that's exactly that's it. That's all it is. That's what it's all about. So perspective as usual is everything. As usual. Yes. <laughs> yes. So anyway, back to Neville, we are on chapter eight of the law and the promise. Yeah. And the title of this one, it, it, it just evokes all kinds of images because uh, it, it evokes the idea of Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I looked at it and I started laughing because because we both were chuckling without any detail at all, just saying we are living in interesting times. And we I are. Like Alice through the looking glass. And here we are, going through the looking glass, like, yeah, that's pretty much my day. Yeah. Right? Right. We were, uh, well, it was mentioning a minute ago, you know, the the perspective, the idea of perspective, and that we choose how we can look at things, just like I was saying, you know, no one can take my power away. No matter right. what happens to me, no one can take my power away. And, uh, Part of that conversation before the show was that I told Walt that I had posted on Twitter that this morning while looking through the uh, headlines, I realized I've never said, oh, my God, as many times in the past two years as I have the rest of my whole life. And, <laughs> and it's been helping me a lot because I always follow up the, oh, my God, with nobody can take my power <laughs> Good combination, though. I like that. Yeah. Very good combination. Because I, and you know this about me, um, I've always felt like it's important to to stay up to date on what's going on in the world. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not making a judgment on anybody else. Personally, 
I have trouble like putting my head in the sand and not paying attention. I, I want to know what's going on. It's just my personality. It's just who I am. I also don't want to be despondent and in distress every minute of the day because of things that are going on. Right. So that's my combo. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm thinking about how those two phrases work together. Oh my God, nobody can take my power away from me. What a combination that is. <laughs> That's that's what it's been. So that's huge. That's really powerful. I think you actually improved it with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's working for me. So do we have any announcements before we head into the chapter? Yeah, let's do our promotional announcements that we usually do, uh, which amounts to very simply, like Cindy was saying, this is a free podcast, and we're giving out free information, and we're sharing our thoughts freely and so forth. And we do that because we want people to listen, because we like having people listen to our thoughts. And sometimes even they, they come back and they mirror their own thoughts back to us, either on the live stream or by sending an email or contacting us through the website. And it's just it's fun. We love that. But it, we know that our listeners are loving it, too, because the numbers keep increasing, and which I love. I don't know about you, Cindy, but I just love oh, it. Every yeah. single year, the numbers get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And it's not like we're we're not reaching millions of people yet. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even a year ago, thinking of, of having like 350 listeners every single episode, that seemed out of reach. And we're there now. And it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. So that's why we do it. That's why we love it so much. The reason why we would suggest that you become a subscriber is because we're doing five shows a week with five different sets of co-hosts. We're all talking law of attraction, but every single show is so different. You're going to get different information, different ideas, different laughs, different entertainment out of every single show. It's really worthwhile. It's like having you know, a variety of five different shows to listen to every single week, but they're all the same show. So with that <laughs> thought in mind, Become a subscriber by going to the homepage of our website. That's the easiest way, LOAToday.net. And at the top of the page, you will see instructions on how to do it in about three to four clicks. And I should say alternatively, if you are already using a podcast platform like, I don't know, iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or Pandora or whatever, you can probably find us on all those too because we are now on all the major ones and many of the minor ones. But the bottom line is if you can't find us that way, go to LOAToday.net the webpage and you'll be able to find us there and also feel free to subscribe and listen to us on youtube because as we record these podcasts we also live stream them to youtube and that's where our live stream listeners come in they'll join us on the youtube page and and contribute their comments we'll often incorporate their comments into what we're talking about it just it just makes it a much more fun uh experience for everybody involved um, and subscribing there is just as easy as it is um, for the regular podcast. You click the subscribe button. There's also a little bell to click to be alerted every single time that we publish something or that we're live streaming so that you can just go right to the event and listen to it immediately after or even during while we're, we're recording it. So either way, actually both ways, we hope you subscribe both on YouTube and to the podcast. But please do subscribe because it really is worthwhile. And those are our promotional messages for the day. Excellent. Excellent. And thank you, subscribers. We appreciate you so much. Absolutely. So much. All right. So we are making our way through Neville Goddard's book, The Law and the Promise. And we are now, we just hit the over the halfway point. So we're in chapter eight, <laughs> through the looking glass, like Walt says, a little reminiscent of Alice in Wonderland here. And I've never heard this little verse, but Neville starts out with a verse from a poem, I guess called The Elixir mm. by George Aber, and it says, A man that looks on glass, on it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heaven espy. 
And I think that's really like, hmm, I, I had to think about it for a minute. But what what I kind of get from that, I don't know how that verse hits you, but I kind of get that we can either look at things at the surface or we can look deeper. Yes. And if we look deeper, <laughs> that's when we're going to, you know, get to that place where we can see the bigger picture, I think. I agree. That's exactly, well, that's pretty much what Neville is all about, because we've discovered this every step of the way as we explore his books. We've done, this is the sixth of the ten books that we've done so far, and every one of them is the same, because every one of them has layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of meaning in what on the surface are very simple words. It's amazing how often that plays out. And I've been thinking all week about you know, anybody that's heard the podcast for some length of time might hear me occasionally mention some hermetic principles because that's something that I'm versed in. But I had not put it together as much as I had in the past few weeks. And it's not this book, but I'm trying to remember which book we did before because now I want to go back and look where Neville was talking about um, conception. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all of a sudden, it just all lined up for me how much it's all the hermetic principles, the principle of gender, the principle of, you know, manifest uh, of correspondence. Like, and I was thinking, Oh my goodness. Like once again, I had that thought. It was like, I could go start at that book again. I've read it three times and it would all be different. It would be like, Oh, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. what he's saying there. So you can just do this stuff over and over and it doesn't get old at all. Well, I'm also thinking that when we finish this book, uh, before we get on to the others, maybe we do a show just on Hermetic Principles so you can give everybody a little more in-depth uh, understanding of them. I would love to do that. I would okay. love to do that. All right. Okay, so Neville says, Objects to be perceived must first penetrate in some manner our brain. But we are not, because of this, interlocked with our environment. Although normal consciousness is focused on the senses and is usually restricted to them, it is possible for man to pass through his sense fixation into any imaginal structure which he conceives and so fully occupies. It is that is more alive and more responsive, more responsive than that on which his senses stay his eye. Okay, so this, if we pick it apart a little bit, this paragraph, mm-hmm. we see that once again, Neville is talking about when we are imagining thing and we, and we allow our senses to come into play, right. that we can bring those senses into to any imagination. He says imaginal structure, right? Any imaginal structure which he conceives and so fully occupies that it's more alive and more responses than that, he says, on which his, on which his senses stay his eye. So in other words, the serpent, the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, this is a, uh, an important concept for a number of different reasons. The first one that comes to my mind is he is, in a sense, acknowledging the challenge that's involved every single time that we're kind of on our own, away from podcasts, away from books, away from talking to people on social media and so forth, and just having to deal with, okay, this is my time now to do the work. I, my, my job is to do the imaginal work, and then we get flummoxed, and we can't seem to get the image going and then we can't we have all these lists of things that get in the way and or we just make a simple statement like you know what this is such a great affirmation i'm gonna say it as i fall asleep every night this week very simple yeah where did it go i never thought about it again yeah it's so easy (laughs) it's so easy right to right 
So Neville points this out a lot. And something I think is interesting here that we covered, I think it was in the one of the previous books, where Neville touched on a little bit what we decided was, I don't think he said it, but it was what we decided was lucid dreaming. Oh, yes. Right? And if you've ever had a lucid dream, and, and I can't say I've had many, but I have had maybe a half a dozen, and one of the things that is so hard to explain about a lucid dream, the only way I've heard anybody explain it is just to say it feels more real than real life. Hmm. And I don't know, I guess it's that everything's heightened. The colors are brighter, the, the bodily sensations are more acute. And so when you wake up from a lucid dream, it almost feels like, oh my gosh, was that real? And this is a dream because this feels sort of flat compared to where I just was. And that's what I feel like Neville is talking about here. He it's says, interesting you say that too, because I remember... Uh, in a number of cases where I've had dreams that were very vivid, I'll call them lucid dreams because they fit the criteria you are describing here. And the best way to describe how I felt when I woke up is I woke up with my eyes wide, like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> well, the, the other criteria for a lucid dream is that you know it's a dream as it's happening, mm. which is really interesting because a lot of times what happens, especially when someone is first you know, attempting, because usually it's not something that just happens to people. It's something that happens because they're consciously intending it to happen and they're focused mm. on it. And what happens is that as soon as the person recognizes, oh, this is a dream, I'm in a dream, they'll wake up. So there are like methods to keep you in the dream. Like one of them is that if you if you suddenly realize you're dreaming and you feel like you're losing it, like you're waking up, like it's just to turn around, to spin around a little bit and oh, you'll really? stay in the dream. So I think that's really interesting. But I feel like Neville is talking about that here. Not a lucid dream, but something akin to it. Because he says that that this imaginal structure that the person conceives it and so fully occupies it that it's more alive and more responsive, he says, than, than that on which his senses stay his eye. But in other words, that on which he just sees in his natural world, just mm -hmm. regular everyday stuff. He says, if this were not true, man would be an automaton reflecting life, never affecting it. Man, who is all imagination, is not tenant to the brain, but landlord. He need not rest content with the appearance of things. He can go beyond perceptual to conceptual awareness. I like that terminology there, is mm -hmm. that it's not tenant to the brain, but landlord, right? Nobody yeah. takes my power from me. Like I it get is. to decide what story that I'm telling. I'm the mm -hmm. landlord. <laughs> That's right, yeah. This ability to pass through the mechanical reflective structure of the senses is the most important discovery man can make. It reveals man as a center of imagining with powers of intervention, which enable him to alter the course of observed events, moving from success to success through a series of mental transformations in himself. Attention, the spearhead of imagining. This is what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> this is the this is the uh, the part we got to pay attention to is how much attention can we give it without losing it? Right. Attention, the spearhead of imagining may be either attracted from without as his senses stay his eye, 
or directed from within, if he pleases, and through the senses pass into the wish fulfilled. So is there anything that stands out to you from these last few sentences? It seems like a lot of information. I want to make sure we don't just run through it without... There, there is a lot of information. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, it isn't so much what stands out as what it evokes in me. Because one of the things that I've noticed a lot when I've been doing my own imaginings, creating my own imaginal situations, is there are certain uh, scenes, certain uh, vignettes, as we like to call them, where it's so easy for me to get into the scene and I get really passionate about it. And there are other times I am just, I, I am treading water trying to get some passion going about it. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with how important it is to me. If, now, know, I was just going to ask you, is what, what do you think makes the difference? And that's what it is for me. I mean, like uh, when Louise was really in the midst of her medical crisis this past winter, it didn't take me any time at all to get into a highly passionate state about that. I mean, it was just right off the chart instantly, you know. But I could be... Uh, you know, doing a vignette about trying to attract a bunch of money in my life, and it, it it's kind of there a little bit, but it doesn't have the same level of passion to it at all. I'm working at it. Why? Because my wife is really, really important to me. Right. <laughs> She's you know, very, it, very important. It's interesting. Um, I used to manage a sales team, and, and in sales, there's a, a phrase that we hear all the time, and it's, it's your why. Mm -hmm. W-H-Y, right? Why you're doing this why you want to make the sale, why you want to be successful. And oftentimes, you know, the idea was that you had to know that. And mm. that once you knew it, if it was a big enough why, if it was mm -hmm. a powerful enough why, you wouldn't have any trouble bringing in what you wanted to bring in, right? And mm. many times for people, hopefully not all the time, but I remember stories where what was someone's why? It was my wife is sick. Mm -hmm. Right. It was my child is sick and I need to be able to pay for her medical care or whatever. Right. And that why was a really, really big why it was yeah. very important to them. And so they did what they needed to do mm -hmm. to keep on track with with whatever it was. In this case, it's keeping on track with, you know, our energetic practice. And it's sort of like you think about people that begin a certain practice um, and it could be a mental practice like this, meditation, mm -hmm. and it could be an exercise practice or maybe taking supplements or whatever because they're, they have some diagnosis or something. And the doctor's like, you know, if you don't relax and start de-stressing, you're going to have a big problem or if you don't do this. And so what happens? They're like, they get serious about it. Suddenly their why got really big. It's like, That's yeah, right. it's like, I don't want to have another heart attack or whatever. So they mm -hmm. they get serious about it. That's all it is. And you're yeah. right. It's like when it's really important to us. And I think that's a great thing to tap into. It's like some, sometimes I think when we have trouble manifesting something, it's because it's not really that important to us. And we don't maybe want to admit that even to ourselves. But it's like when we do find the thing that's really important, <laughs> we'll put it together, right? I, I think it's accurate. And, in fact, I mentioned in my example that, trying to manifest health for my wife was easy to tap into because I care so much about her, but perhaps tapping into trying to attract a certain amount of money doesn't have the same passion for me. That, that's a hard one to let go of. 
I mean, because <laughs> we want to have money to live on, right? We want to be able to have that abundant lifestyle, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. letting go, that can be a little bit tough. But I think there is also something to be said for letting go of that. Because oh, I think when yeah. we let go of it, what we're really doing is giving ourselves the opportunity to find what it is that we really want to do with the money and latch into that and get the better passion out of it. That's, that's so it. I mean, that, and that's such a standard, it's almost a cliche. It's such a standard, like life coachy question, right? right. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you want? I want to make a hundred thousand dollars this year. What would you do if you had that? What would having that give you, right? Because right. That's really what we want to get to exactly. because picture this, you know, is it just a hundred thousand dollars that you can stick in a shoebox under your bed and never touch? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's not usually what people want. It's not going to work. <laughs> something that they think that money's going to give them, and sometimes it's not even stuff, right? Sometimes it's power, or yep. the sense of freedom or security. Mm-hmm. But if we can like latch onto that, yeah, then we'll have a better chance of having it come into our reality. So okay. I, I actually feel like I'm doing a better job of doing my imaginals when I'm focusing on. Like with money-related stuff, what is it my money's already buying me? Because when I'm focusing on that, that well, that's real, you know. So right. we had a good meal yesterday. Well, yeah, that meal got paid for with money, but the meal was the best part. The meal was delicious. Spicy <laughs> was wonderful. You know, that I can easily tap into that one. I like that a lot too, because you're like, I want to do that again. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, which oh, by the way happens to be up. true. We do that three times a day or whatever, you know, whatever the lifestyle is, right? <laughs> no, that's true. All right, so Neville says to move from perceptual awareness or things as they seem to conceptual awareness or things as they ought to be, we imagine as vivid and as lifelike a representation as possible of what we would see, hear, and do were we physically present and physically experiencing things as they ought to be and imaginatively participate in that scene. So that's sort of that paragraph right there is sort of in a nutshell, everything that we learned from Neville, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like, we can look around us. I can touch this chair, touch my computer, notice the temperature in the room, blah, blah, blah. Yep. To move from that into something different. I have to use my imagination mm-hmm. and I have to do it in a way where it seems as real, if not more real than everything that I'm seeing and touching. And that's the goal right there. It isn't even so much doing the imaginal work. It's making it real. Mm-hmm. Right? The more real we make it, the more we win, the more we get to where it is we're trying to get to, the more we attract what we're trying to attract, the more everything works out the way we want it to work out because we were able to make it real in our minds. So he's going to tell us a story that he received. He says the following story tells of one who went through the glass (laughs) (laughs) and broke the chains that bound her. So here's the story. Two years ago, I was taken to the hospital with a serious blood clot condition, which apparently had affected the entire vascular system, causing hardening of arteries and arthritis. A nerve in my head was damaged and my thyroid enlarged. Doctors could not agree on the cause of this condition, and all their treatments were completely ineffective. I was forced to give up my everyday enjoyable activity and remain in bed most of the time. My body, from my hips to toes, felt as though it was encased and bound by tight wires, and I couldn't put my feet on the floor 
without wearing heavy hip-length elastic stockings. We call those compression stockings now, right? Mm -hmm. The person says, I knew something of your teaching and tried very hard to apply what I had heard. But as my condition grew worse and I could no longer attend any of your lectures, my despondency grew deeper. One day, a friend sent me a postcard picturing the scene of a lovely beach by the ocean. The picture was so beautiful. I looked and looked at it and began to remember past summer days at the seashore with my parents. For a moment, the postcard picture seemed to become animated and flooding memories of myself running free on the beach filled my mind. I felt the impact of my bare feet against the hard, wet sand. I felt the icy water running over my toes and heard the crash of waves breaking on shore. This imaginal activity was so satisfying to me as I lay in bed that I continued to imagine this wonderful scene day after day for about one week. One morning, I moved from my bed to a couch and had started to sit up. When I was seized with such an excruciating pain, my entire body became paralyzed. I could neither sit up nor lie down. The terrible pain lasted for more than a full minute, but when it stopped, I was free. It seemed as if all the wires binding my legs had been cut. One moment I was bound, the next moment I was free, not by degrees, but instantly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's wow for a couple of reasons, because I just mentioned how my biggest passion in the examples I gave was when I was trying to support my wife who was going through a thyroid issue, which is exactly what this woman had. Now her symptoms were different from my wife's symptoms, but it was basically the similar kind of situation because my wife was not bedridden, but she certainly couldn't get around very much. I mean, literally I had to walk her around in my arm whenever we went outside. That's how bad it was at that point. And she was getting progressively worse. She ended up in the hospital and so forth. So I'm, I'm thinking, wow, there's all these parallels. And then she describes the postcard, the picture postcard, that mm -hmm. starts to become real in her mind, which is almost identical to what I did. Because I focused on a particular vacation that Louise and I had taken some 10 a years picture. before. And it was a picture on the wall of the two of us on that vacation. And I just kept playing that little picture in my mind. I did the same thing as she did. And I didn't even know that was the story coming up. <laughs> You know what I think is interesting about this? And we, we read another story that was similar, um, very similar. But what I, what I think is interesting is, remember going back to the idea of um, assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled mm -hmm. for the sake of enjoying the feeling of the wish fulfilled? Ah, yes. Right? Like, I'm not doing this. to, And, and it's a conundrum, right? It's like there's a, there's a Buddhist cone that is like you cannot make it happen. You can let it happen. But if you let it happen to make it happen, it won't happen. Mm. It's really difficult to get around that. But, but the idea is that um, when we are putting ourselves in that imaginal place, if we do it just because it's so enjoyable to do it, we let go of the attachment to the outcome that causes resistance. Yes. And so when I was reading this, I was thinking, I, I do recognize that the person is writing to Neville and, and the person knows of Neville's teachings, but I still get the, I still get the sense that this person was bedridden and in a lot of pain 
and someone sends them a beautiful postcard. And that was like, they were gazing into the postcard and flooding themselves with memories of being free in the body and running on the beach because it felt good to do that. Right. It wasn't that I'm going to keep doing that so I can get healed. It was like, they even said somewhere in here, it says, um, the picture was so beautiful. I looked and looked at it and began to remember past summer days And it says, this imaginal activity was so satisfying to me as I lay in bed that I continued to imagine it for, for a week. Why? Because I had, when I, when I remembered your teaching, I so hoped for a healing. I decided to force myself to do this. No, because it was so satisfying to me. Like it was relieving this person of pain. I had the same experience when I was trying to help Louise and I was focusing on that photo of our visit to Seattle, for that moment in time, I was escaped from dealing with what Louise was going through and my stresses about it and, and dealing with the doctors and the hospitals and the dietary and everything else. I, mean, I, was, I could escape from that for a bit and just kind of remember how wonderful it was to go to Seattle, which was a great vacation for us. And I remember you saying that, saying that I looked at that picture and my memory of how happy we were and how much fun we had and how good we felt was so vivid. Like mm-hmm. it was like it was yesterday. It was like it was. It was now. It was like it felt mm-hmm. so good to put myself and to remember that and to remember how it felt. And it's that's true. exactly what's happening here. And yeah. it, it's really, really fantastic. It is. I, mean, I, I love the parallel. It's fabulous. <laughs> so, so Neville then quotes uh, the, the Christian Bible, Second Corinthians. He says, we walk by faith not by sight. (laughs) It's a very perfect uh, verse to use there. He says, when we walk by sight, we know our way by objects which our eyes see. When we walk by faith, we order our life by scenes and actions which only imagination sees. Man perceives by the eye of imagination or by sense. But two mental attitudes to perception are possible. The creative imaginative effort, which meets with an imaginative response, or the unimaginative staying of the eye, which merely reflects. Man has within him the principle of life and the principle of death. One is the imagination building its imaginal structures out of the generous dreams of fancy. The other is the imagination building its imaginal structures from images reflected by the chill wind of fact. One creates, the other perpetuates. That's like really powerful. I feel like he's talking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember we talked about, um, I can't remember who said it. It could have been Neville. I just don't remember. But somebody said, you know, most people today are just focused on yesterday's news. Mm-hmm. We just mm-hmm. perpetuate. Yep. We perpetuate the same situations in our lives because we tell the same story about what happened already, and that's what Neville's talking about here. And you know what really pisses me off is when I get into, <laughs> that, re- I get into that, that realm of thinking about this thing I don't like, right, whatever it is. And for whatever reason, for, for some moment of time, it feels like I can't take my mind off of it. Even as I'm saying to myself, the more I focus on that, the worse things are going to get. But by God, I'm going to keep focusing on this thing. Well, you know, we've talked about that many times about about how hard it is sometimes when it's when the focus is on physical pain mm-hmm. because we hurt we can feel it it's really hard to take your focus off that when you're in pain right but 
but we've both done it successfully, so we know it we can have. be done. Right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, and and I'm actually talking about not so much something that's difficult, like physical pain, because that's just right in your face, and it is very, very difficult. You're just talking about politics, that. aren't you? <laughs> politics, economics, family issues. I mean, all the little stuff in life that we allow to get into the way. Yeah. And, and every one of them are things that really are a whole lot easier to take our attention away from than chronic pain. But for whatever reason, in that moment, it's like I am glued to it like a magnet. No, that's that's a mixed metaphor. But I am attached to it like a magnet. You know, and I, there is no way I'm going to take my attention off that thing. And I, I it's not rocket No, it's not. No, but eventually I do get my attention off, and I say to myself, "What on earth was that all about?" Well, you know, you made a comment. You said, no, it's just the little things that come up. And, and I, I thought of that idea that, you know, it's not the it's not the mountain. Right. It's not the climb up the mountain. It's the pebble in your shoe. Exactly. It's so true. Like big mm-hmm. things come our way and we go, oh, my goodness. Okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to mm-hmm. do it, right? There's yes. The little, little stuff that's just like, oh. <laughs> exactly. That's it. So, yep. so Neville says man must adopt either the way of faith or the way of sight. Sounds like Neville's telling us we can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the extent that man builds from dreams of fancy, he is alive. And therefore, the development of the faculty to pass through the reflective glass of the senses is an increase of life. It follows, here's the corollary, it follows that restricting the imagination by staying the eye on the reflective glass of the senses is a reduction of life. The specious surface of fact reflects rather than discloses, deflecting the eye of imagination from the truth that sets man free. The eye of imagination, if not deflected, looks on what ought to be there, not what is. However familiar the scene on which sight rests, the eye of imagination could gaze on one never before witnessed. It's this eye of imagination and only this that can free us from the sense fix, from the sense fixation of outer I lost my place of outer okay. things which completely dominates our ordinary existence and keeps us looking on the reflective glass of facts. I love the way he uses this analogy of the sense fixation being like reflective glass mm-hmm. because it just shoots everything back at us that's there instead of looking deeper. Right. <laughs> And, oh, my goodness, that just makes so much sense. Well, the, the looking glass is a mirror, essentially. Right, yeah. And, and what he's talking about is life mirroring back at us and us getting deceived by what's mirroring back at us instead of relying on what we know in our own imaginations to be what we're really creating, what we really want to be true. Right, and it's we do this so much, mm-hmm. is just look at everything at a surface level. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Right? So so Neville says it is possible to pass from thinking of to thinking from. We've talked about that a lot with Neville. Mm -hmm. But the crucial matter is thinking from. Experiencing the state for that experience means unification. Whereas in thinking of in thinking of, there is always subject and object, the thinking individual and the thing thought of. Self abandonment. That is the secret. We have to abandon ourselves to the state in our love for the state. And in doing so, we live the life of the state and no more our present state. Imagination seizes upon the life of the state 
and gives itself to the expression of the life of that state. So the state, we could easily um, use the term wish fulfilled, right? We have mm-hmm. to abandon ourselves to the wish and our love for the wish or the state of the wish fulfilled, the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And I love that he says this here. In our love for the state, mm-hmm. it's it's because we enjoy it. Yeah. Because it's so real to us that we enjoy it so much. That's the key right there. Not because we're trying to make something happen. There's also um, a very important phrase, term that he's using here. It's a term really, self-abandonment. And I say that's an important term because if I look at that experience that he's describing of what he calls abandoning ourselves to the state in our love for the state, essentially we are experiencing that new state. So the self is actually still there. The self is actually experiencing that new state. So what does he mean by self-abandonment? It's not like the self disappeared. The self is still there. I think he's being very specific. I think he's talking about the self as that which hangs on to all the, the, the mundane real world stuff that, that basically defies us to get involved in our imagination, leaving that part behind. I, and also the, the physical self, right? That the physical self that with our senses, senses whatever we're sensing, sees the reflection. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sees things, sees what is, right? That physical self, that's what we abandon. We abandon when we say, but my eyes are seeing this. I heard this and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, when people say, but this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the self we're abandoning. Right. Right. And we're, that... we're, we're leaving that to go into a different part of the self, which is the imagination. So, so it's basically the self that just takes a, its, its cues from sensory information and doesn't do anything else. That's the self that we're leaving behind, that we're abandoning, so to speak. Right. And then this is interesting turn of phrase. He says, faith plus love is self-commission. We can't commit ourselves to what we do not love. And that's like what we were talking about a minute ago, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, how, why is it so hard for me to manifest a certain thing that I don't really care about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we can't commit ourselves to what we do not love. Never would you have made anything if you had not loved it, for you love all the things that are, and despite nothing which you have made, for never would you have made anything if you hated it, from the book of wisdom. And to make the state alive, one must become it. I live, yet not I, God lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's he's quoting from the Christian Bible again, but the thing that I think is interesting is before the quote where he says to make the state alive, one must become it. Here mm-hmm. again, what we're talking about is those imaginal senses feeling as real as the actual physical senses that we use every day. We have to become that. We and have to, thing, it has to be real. And one thing that I've been trying to remind myself on, on a regular basis about that is even if I am trying to put myself into that imaginal state and, as he likes to phrase it, assuming the feeling of the wishful field, assuming what it feels like to be in that state, making that state real for myself, perfection isn't everything. 
It's not like if I don't get there right away, I failed. No. Instead, the way I'm looking at it is each time that I'm practicing it, I'm getting a little bit better at it. I'm getting yeah. a little bit stronger at it. I'm developing it a little bit more. And so there can even be a time period of days, weeks perhaps, where it feels like I'm not making any progress. But if I remind myself, the progress is still being made, even though it doesn't feel like I'm getting there. Eventually, I look back and I say, whoa, I guess I did make more progress than I realized. I'd forgotten about some of this progress I had made. Because to I, my perception, it was just, I was making such little incremental changes and little incremental improvements that I could barely tell the difference. It's only looking back over a period of time I could really notice it. Right, and anybody that has learned anything, really, that they are proficient at now should be able to recognize that process. That's right. You've learned a, a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Right. If you if you've learned to become a gourmet chef, if you hey, if you've learned how to type on a keyboard, I mean, you can remember before you knew how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Picking around Mm -hmm. with two fingers or whatever, and now (laughs) you know. So anything that you do well, if you just look back and remember the learning curve of it, remember the frustration of the learning curve. It was there. Yeah, and recognize that, like you said, um, most of the time, it's it's incremental. Very small, very small improvements over time. But eventually, you're an expert and you're a master. And that's what we're going for here. So that's right. you got to keep practicing. Uh, Neville says, God loved man. Now, remember, we, we haven't done this in a while. Th- this book so far, Neville has not quoted um, religious texts as much as he has. Uh, but we have to get out the Neville decoder ring and remember mm-hmm. that when that Neville will tell you that you are God. Right. Neville will tell you that God is the imagination, that right. Christ is the imagination. And so when he says, you know, when he uses some of these verses, it's important to try to understand what he's saying because he has a different definition for things. So God loved man, has created and became man in faith that this act of self-commission would transform the created into the creative We must be imitators of God as dear children and commit ourselves to what we love as God who loved us committed himself to us. We must be the state to experience the state. I love love the fact that he included this concept we were talking about and have been talking about, about how we make it real in our minds and how we <clears throat> how we engage in doing the imaginal activity in order to really feel it and experience it. And he says that's exactly what God did to create us. I thought that was really interesting. He says it's the same process, the exact same process. All we're really doing is doing the same thing that ultimately is how we create ourselves. Well, I love that he is talking about being the state. <laughs> mm-hmm. Being the state. Because we... You know, the world isn't so much what we see, it's what we are. Our experiences are always attached, directly attached to our sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And so that's why this is so important. The center of consciousness, the center of conscious imagining can be shifted. And what are now mere wishes, imaginal activities keyed low, brought into penetrative focus and entered entrance commits us to the state. The possibilities of such shifting of the center of imagining are startling. The activities concerned are physical, actually psychical throughout, is what he says. 
The shifting of the center of imagining is not brought about by spatial travel, but by a change in what we are aware of. The boundary of the world of sense is a subjective barrier. So long as the senses take notice, the eye of imagination is deflected from the truth. We do not get far unless we let go. Uh, I love that because one of the things that I explain to people a lot of the time is that every big shift comes after a big letting go. <laughs> yes. We often have to let go of whatever we're attached to. Mm-hmm. So I know that we were, we're coming up on time, but I think we can get through this story. Let's do the sto- I love ending on a story anyway, so let's go for it. This lady uh, let go with immediate and miraculous results. Here's her letter to Neville. Thank you for the golden key. It has released my brother from the hospital from pain and probable death, for he was facing a fourth major operation with little hope of recovery. I was very concerned and attempting to use what I had learned about my imagination. I first asked myself what my brother truly desired. Does he want to continue in this body or does he desire to be free of it? The question revolved itself over and over in my mind and suddenly I felt that he would like to continue remodeling his kitchen, which he had been contemplating before his confinement in the hospital. I knew my question had been answered, so I began to imagine from that point, attempting to see my brother in the busy activity of remodeling. I suddenly found myself gripping the back of a kitchen chair I had used many times when something happened. Then suddenly I found myself standing beside my brother's bed in the hospital. This was the last place I would have wanted to be, physically or mentally, but there I was, and my brother's hand reached up and clasped my hand tightly, and I heard him say, I knew you would come, Joe. It was a well hand I clasped, strong and sure, and the joy that filled and spilled over in my voice as I heard myself say, it's all better now, you know it. My brother didn't answer, but I distinctly heard a voice say to me, remember this moment. I seemed to awake then, back in my own home. This took place the night after he had entered the hospital. Following day, his wife telephoned me saying, it is unbelievable. The doctor cannot account for it, Joe, but no operation is necessary. (laughs) He is so improved that they've agreed to release him tomorrow. The following Monday, my brother went back to his work and has been perfectly well since that day. Nice. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I love that, that this, Woman took the time, um, you know, to to meditate or contemplate whether her brother would want to stay or go. Yes. And took the time to do that. And then the answer that came to her is she suddenly seen, she saw him remodeling his home, a project he had already started. And that was her answer. Mm-hmm. And she trusted that. Yes. There's a lot of intuition trusting in this story. She trusted mm-hmm. that and said, that's where I started. I just started picturing him joyfully remodeling his home. Well, there was trusting and there was also recognizing. She had to recognize the signal for what it was, and she did, which is I mean, more to her credit. What's interesting is, like, she she was actually focusing on something that she knew he enjoyed. Yes. You know, we were talking earlier about what we what we really care about. And this was something he cared about. So it's just interesting how it was powerful. <laughs> it was po- it's certainly powerful for me. I mean, just hearing that story is powerful. And it, it just reaffirms how powerful this whole, this whole ball of yarn is. I mean, 
<laughs> what, what we're working with here is truly the power that creates worlds. It really is. And once we grasp that, the world changes for us, which is exactly what we wanted anyway. So anyway, we will continue doing that chapter in two weeks because you're going to be not part of the, uh, the podcast next week. I won't uh, be here next week. You won't be here next week, but uh, you'll be back in two weeks. So we will conclude Chapter 8 at that time. Next week, uh, I imagine Alex will probably sit in for you. So we'll be discussing who knows what. We may even have a guest. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> that's what happened last time. That person who uh, came on the show that one Wednesday, she contacted me after you told me that you weren't going to be able to make it. And I had no anticipation of it. So you never know what's going to happen. Amazing. It's amazing. It's always amazing. But thank you, as usual, for all of your insights about Neville because they're thank very for... appreciated. Remind people how to reach Cindy Chavez, too, in case somebody wants to reach out to you. They can reach me at my website, cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z. I hope you will reach out. Give me a shout. I hope you will, <laughs> and I hope you also keep coming back because we love every single one of you, especially our podcast listeners and our live stream, live stream listeners as well. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye. Hi, everyone.